All right. If you will, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. And as you're turning there, I want to reiterate what Trey was talking about a little bit ago. This Thursday night, we are kicking off our men's ministry. And we do hope that all of our men of all ages, we want, even if you've got a baby boy, we want him there. Uh, We want to... Um, have a great time. I, I've got a friend of mine, uh, Jonathan Blaylock, who's a pastor at North Albemarle Baptist Church. He'll be coming um, this Thursday night to bring a message for us. Uh, we've got barbecue. Uh, we're, we're, we're trying to get all the fixings. We've got mac and cheese coming. We've got cornbread coming. Um, we're going to have coleslaw, baked beans, hopefully. Um, so men, come ready to eat and get full off barbecue and get full off of God's Word. Um, we're turning this, uh, after this Thursday will be a monthly, uh, Saturday morning, uh, where we'll have a breakfast and a, and a, and a, a, a message, a time of encouragement, but come and hear what else we're going to be doing through our men's ministry this Thursday night. Again, it's free. Um, and just, just show up. It's at 6 PM, uh, this Thursday night. We'll probably go about an hour, hour and a half, something like that. Okay. All right. So first Timothy chapter two. 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you're there, say word. word. Awesome. Go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. 1 Timothy 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and this is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask, as we look at a text of Scripture on prayer, And as we come to you in prayer, help us this morning to apply this word to our lives. Use me as you see fit. Help us, God, as we seek to be a healthy church that prays. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you're a first-time visitor or if you haven't been here in a few weeks, we are going through the pastoral epistles um, first and second Timothy and Titus. And the focus that we are looking at is how can we, as Red Cross Baptist Church, one of the focuses is how can we be a healthy church? What does that look like? And the second focus is, is to really look at biblically what a healthy church is. And so that's why we're going through this, through these pastoral epistles. And over the next few weeks, we're going to hit on some some dicey stuff. Pastors don't usually get nervous when they preach certain texts of Scripture. I'm getting nervous coming up with some of the texts of Scripture coming up. 
And so be in prayer for me as we prepare for this. But this morning, the title of my message is A Praying Church. I want to look at how a healthy church is a praying church. Now, I've shared this illustration before. But there is this story of a group of men who went and visited a church one Sunday. Uh, They had heard a lot of stuff about this pastor and they wanted to go and meet him and hear his preaching. And and as they go into the church building, they see a, a large number of people. They've been told that this church has gone from just a couple hundred to a few thousand within a short time. And they wanted to go see what is going on. This is a couple hundred years ago. And as they go into the church facility and they're, they, they see the crowd of people, somebody comes up and, and uh, shakes their hand and says, Hey, welcome. Um, welcome to the church. This is, this is where we have everything going on. And they just kind of looked around. They saw the beautiful pulpit. They saw the walls, the paintings, everything. And then the guy asked them, he said, Do you want to go and see the furnace? You want to go and see where this building's heated at? Men were like, Okay. Let's go. Let's go see the equipment that heats the facility. So this man takes him downstairs to a room, opens the door, and there's a a couple hundred people in this room praying. And this man turns to the other men that were visiting and said, this is the furnace where our church is heated. Now, I'm taking liberties with this story. That's not truly how it went. Spurgeon was the guy that led these men down to the furnace. Spurgeon was a man of prayer. I I love Spurgeon. Spurgeon, as you know, I mean, I'm trying to grow a beard out like Spurgeon. I'm failing horribly at it. Stress is causing all my hair to fall out. Thank you, Trey Barbie. And so, (laughs) so, but Spurgeon was a man of prayer. He believed that churches are built not just on the preaching of God's word, but on prayer. And as we're looking this morning at this text of scripture, We're looking at a healthy church that prays. We need to be the praying people that are the furnace for our church. But as we look at this text of scripture, we're not just looking at how a healthy church prays. Specifically in this text, as we just got off of 8 through or 18 through 20 last week, and then we're coming up on what's being said this morning. This, this type of prayer is being sandwiched between the gospel. So this isn't just us saying a healthy church is a church that prays, but specifically, and this is my main idea, a healthy church prays for the salvation of all people. When we look at this text of scripture, Paul is emphasizing not just that we generally need to be a people of prayer, But we need to be a people who are praying for people's salvation. We need to be a people who are praying for people's salvation. Now, I know, church, prayer is hard for us. I know you're probably sitting here and you're thinking, man, I don't even know the last time I prayed, except maybe just now when praying for Jesse not to go past 11 because I'm hungry. (laughs) Daryl. <laughs> but you're probably sitting here wondering, like, or probably thinking to, you, to, to, to yourself, my, my prayer life is just not the best. 
The only times that I really begin to pray is when life gets hard. And not hard for other people, hard for me. That's when I'll start praying. Guys, I was convicted as I was studying through this text this week and I was preparing this sermon. I was convicted because I'm not the man of prayer that I need to be. I'm not. So I'm not standing up here as a guy who's telling you pray like me. I'm standing up here telling you I am needing this just as much as you are. But we are called to pray for the salvation of all people. So I've got three reasons why we should pray for the salvation of all people. Three reasons why a healthy church does this. All right, so here's number one. A healthy church prays for the salvation of all people because a healthy church is compelled by the heart of God. They are compelled by the heart of God. Now, look at your Bibles. Chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, first of all, first of all, I, I love I love that. You're probably thinking, wow, okay, three words. First of all, as in this is important. This is, this is, he, he doesn't say, first of all, you need to be a church that is to be preaching the word. Yeah, that's important here. That's the, that's the first step of our strategy here at Red Cross to declare the word. But he's saying, first of all, I urge you to be praying. I urge you to be praying. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, now these are four different types of prayers. Supplications is where we are bringing our needs to God. Prayers, when Paul says that, it's just really talking about a general prayer. Possibly about adoration where we're lifting praises to God. Then you got intercessions where we are praying for other people and their needs. And then you've got thanksgivings where you're thanking God for all that he's done. R.C. Sproul has, has given the ACTS acronym, and so have other pastors. ACTS, A-C-T-S, as a form of prayer. A, adoration. C, confession. T, thanksgiving. S, supplication. A form of prayer. But here, basically, what Paul is saying is, is, is we need to be praying. All kinds of prayers. For who? For all kinds of people. All kinds of people. Now, when he's saying all people here, he's not saying every individual human being on the planet of the earth because you can't do that. You know how long our prayer meetings would be? You don't even know the people. But what he's saying is, is we're not just here to pray for ourselves. We're not just here to pray for the people within this church. We're here to pray for all kinds of people. We need to be praying for missionaries. We need to be praying for our teachers. We need to be praying for the ambulance that is headed down the street right now to who knows where they're going. We need to be praying for law enforcement officers. We need to be praying for all kinds of people within this world. And then verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions. All kinds of people, even government leaders and royalty. All kinds of people. I'm going to hit back number 2 here shortly. But when we go to number three, verse three, Paul says these kinds of prayers are good. These prayers where we are praying for all kinds of people, they are, they are good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
Church, we are called to be praying for the salvation of all people because we are compelled by the heart of God. We pray for their salvation because God desires their salvation. He desires all people to be saved. He has a heart that all people would come to the truth of the gospel. And if he has that kind of heart, we should have that kind of heart. I mean, church, let me ask you, are, are you burdened by the lost? Now, yes, absolutely. You probably have a close family member or a close friend, close loved one, co-worker, who you know is lost. Who you know if they were to die today... They would go to hell. They would not spend an eternity in heaven. Does that burden you? Probably. Because you love that person. But what about people in another country that you've never met? What about your neighbors down the street that you haven't met yet? They haven't knocked on the door. You don't know who they are. In fact, you might have a tussle with them because their fence is on your property. Does it burden you whether or not you know that they're going to heaven? Does it burden you whether or not they know Jesus? Does it break your heart that people are dying without the gospel? Because I believe we as a church, we get so complacent. I'm good. I'm good. My wife is good. My family's good. My kids, they're learning. They're going to be good, hopefully. But we get comfortable to where as long as we're good, we're okay. But that's not what God's heart shows us. God has a heart that all people will come to know the truth of the gospel. He desires it, and so should we. So are you compelled by the heart of God? Does his heart draw you to where you want to have a burden for people who don't know Jesus? There are people in my life where I know if they were to die today, I would be distraught because I know that they don't know Jesus But here's the thing, church, being compelled by the heart of God, that, that, that burden that we should have for the lost, what is it that we should do with that? First of all, then, I urge that we pray for them. Because this God, this God who desires all to be saved, is the one who made salvation possible. This God who desires for people to know the truth, whose wrath it is that we deserve because of our sin and shame, he's the one that sends his son to die for our sins. This God who desires the salvation of all people is the one who saves all people. I'm not talking about universalism. All kinds of people. And so if he's the one that does the work, 
If he's the one that Jesus says out of John that he draws people to himself. If he's the one that we see out of Ephesians that chooses people to be saved. If he's the one that that calls people to salvation. If he's the one that does all the saving work. Then why are we not on our hands and knees begging him to save those that we love? Because if he's the one that does the saving work, I'm going to beg that he continues to do a work in this person's life. And church, I'm talking to myself this morning. I can't tell you the last time that I prayed for for this special person in, in my life that doesn't know Jesus. I can tell you it was this past week as I was preparing for this sermon. Church. We are called to pray for the salvation of all people because we are compelled by the heart of God. He has a heart that all people will be saved. Our, our, those, those prayers, though, those evangelistic prayers, missional prayers, whatever you want to call them, those prayers where we're praying for the salvation of all people, they are fueled by the godly desire that all people will be saved. They're fueled by that desire. Sadly, church, sadly, not all will be saved. And that should break our heart. Understand, God's going to get the glory either way. Whether they're saved or not, God still gets the glory. And his will, his decree in our world is not that every individual person be saved. But his desire is. There's a difference between his desire and his decree. There's a difference between his his desire and his will that comes to fruition. His sovereign will. He desires it, but it's not going to happen. And so church, do we have the same heart that God has? A heart for the lost. A heart that is burdened with people that we know are going to go to hell when they die. Because you might be sitting here thinking like, like I know this person I want to share the gospel with them, but I'm scared to. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to say things right. I, I don't know what to do. The first thing to do is to pray for their salvation. So parents, parents, let me ask you, those in the room who have kids who have not placed a profession of faith, Are you praying for their salvation daily? And in our house, when we have family worship, and I say when we have family worship, because it doesn't happen every night like it should. Things are just crazy sometimes, and the kids are crazy. And a lot of times, we're ready to give them Benadryl and put them to bed. We don't do that, all right? Um but when we have our family worship time and, and we have the time where, you know, they want to pray, which is, which is good because they're learning how to pray, what that looks like. But then daddy prays at the end. 
after we've read whatever it is that we are going through at that time. And, and our prayer, that prayer that happens every time we have family worship includes God transform my kids' lives. Grab their sinful hearts of stone, crush it, and give them a heart of flesh. And help them to turn to you with the truth of the gospel to live a repentant life and to glorify you in all that they do. Church, are we praying that every day for our kids? Husbands, if you are not married to a a believer, are you praying that for your spouses? Wives, same to you. Are you praying that daily for your loved ones, your friends that you know don't know Jesus? Because those prayers are fueled by the heart of God. They're fueled by that same heart that we should have. So not only is a healthy church compelled by the heart of God for the prayers for the salvation of all people, but number two, they pray for the salvation of all people because they're captivated by the work of Christ. They're captivated by the work of Christ. Look at verse, look at verse five. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now, if you're like me, all right, if you like to circle, underline, mark up, star, highlight, whatever you do in your Bible, you can mark them up. It's not sinful to mark your Bible up. Circle, mediator, and ransom. Those are two words of Christ you need to know about. Christ is our mediator and he is our ransom. He, through the work of Christ, he has provided all, all people an opportunity to be saved. All kinds of people. It is because of Christ's work that salvation is even possible. Why? Because first, he's our mediator. He's our mediator. When do you need a mediator? When you've got two opposing parties trying to come together and solve something, you need a mediator. Why is he the mediator between us and God? I love God. Yeah, but if you have not come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are separated from a holy and just and good God because he's holy and you're not. And so you need Christ as your mediator who stands in the gap, who pays the price, who mediates to the father that I have made him righteous through my blood. Then the father looks at you and says, justified. Christ is our mediator. He stands in that gap between us and the father. And secondly, he's our ransom. What does that mean? He pays the price he pays the penalty for our sin and shame by dying on the cross for it church he's our ransom he's our substitute he gave himself and he didn't have to he didn't have to And so church, let me ask, are you captivated by the work of Jesus? 
I mean, really, have you, have you looked in the mirror lately? Some of you need to, but have you looked in the mirror? I'm just kidding. Nobody, nobody laughed. I don't want tomatoes. But no, really, have you looked in, in the mirror and actually asked yourself, why has God saved a wretch like me? Why? I mean, why? Why is it that Christ suffered and died on the cross for me? I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve the love and the grace and the mercy that Christ paid on my behalf. I didn't deserve any of it. So are you captivated by it? Are you in awe with the fact that Christ, the Son of God, has stepped down from his glory in heaven to pay your penalty? Because here's the thing. If you are captivated by it, that captivation draws us to be in prayer that others would be captivated by that as well. That captivation is what fuels our prayers The power of the redeeming work of Christ fuels our prayers that other people would be saved. Why? Because the work is finished. It's done. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to know the right words. You just got to know Jesus. So God, would you save my son? Would you save my friend? Would you save my family member? Because the work has been paid and they don't have to do anything. Draw them to you and let them be captivated by the work of Christ. Church, are we captivated? Or are we complacent? Has the, has, the, has the glorious, gracious, beautiful work of Christ become dull and boring to us? Have we become complacent to the fact that the holy God of the universe sent His Son to die for our sins? We didn't deserve that. Are we captivated? And does that captivation draw us to pray that God would save those we love? Church, we are called to be praying for the salvation of all people. That's why we strive every Sunday to preach Christ. Every verse, every word, every chapter, every book bleeds the name of Jesus. And we want you to be captivated by him. Because not only does does being captivated by the work of Christ draw us to pray, it does other things as well. Being captivated by the work of Christ, it, it helps motivate us to holiness. We... We want to live a holy life because of the price that was paid for us. God gave his life for me. I want to give my life to him. 
Not to pay him back. I can't pay him back. That debt's way too big. And every time I can, I continue to obey, I go in debt more with God's grace. But man, because of who he is and what he's done and the grace and the mercy that he's given me, why should I live any different? Except to live for him. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Church, we are called to be captivated by the work of Christ as we pray for the salvation of all people because that fuels those prayers. It draws us to pray that. And thirdly, as we look at verse 7, Paul shows us that a healthy church prays for the salvation of all people because a healthy church is committed to the mission of the church. A healthy church is committed to the mission of the church. Verse 7 For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. For this, for this, for this testimony, for this, for this gospel, for this message, I was appointed as a preacher, as to be on mission for him. And church, we are all, not all of us are called to be preachers, but we're all called to be missionaries. We're all called to carry the gospel to our neighbors. Now, yes, I'm not trying to missionaries, you know, there's a, you know, there's a whole different definition, but I'm talking, we're called to live on mission to share that gospel. We're, we're called to be committed to the mission of the church. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, teaching them to do everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you till the end of the age. Church, that's the mission we are called to. To make disciples. That's the mission of our church that we have. To know Christ and to make him known. We want to make disciples. But church, how does it start? Does it start by picking up our bootstraps, grabbing our Bibles and hitting the streets? No, it doesn't. It starts by being on our knees, praying for the salvation of people. I think it was Spurgeon, maybe, who said he would rather have trained up 10 people to pray than than 200 people to preach. Church, we can can preach the gospel all we want. And, And listen, hear me say this. You know me. I want to preach. I want to preach it verse by verse. I want, to, I want to preach the whole counsel of God. I want you to know the truths of this book. But it doesn't matter if we're not on our knees in prayer for God to work. If we neglect that prayer, we're saying, God, we don't need you. Let me just preach. God, I've got this. I'm going to go share this. Yes, we need to share the gospel. But church, first of all, then I urge that we be a people of prayer. Prayer. There's a quote. I forgot the dude that said it. It just came to my mind. But before we go and talk to men about God, we need to go to God and talk about men. We're called to be committed to the mission of the church. Now go back up to verse 2. We're called... To pray for the spread of the gospel and for the growth of the church. And Paul, in verse 2, 
emphasizes that we need to be in prayer for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, I'm glad that we've come across this today. Because I know last Sunday we spent some time in prayer for the people of Ukraine and for our own government, for our own president and vice president. Whether you like them or not, we're praying for them. But Paul's telling us here that we need to be in prayer for people in leadership. Why? He says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. What is Paul getting at here? This, this has happened uh, when we look at what's happened in Rome. This has happened throughout uh, Europe. This happened, and I'm talking about church history, this happened in America. We are praying for the leaders to not be a people of persecuting the church so that we may freely and ably get the gospel out. He's praying this at this time so that the, the roads of Rome may be freed up. So that people may travel and get the gospel out. When persecution comes, yes, good things come out of the persecuted church. The church grows, it thrives. We see persecution sometimes as a blessing. But it's not something we should be in prayer for. Because when persecution does come, it does make the gospel more difficult to get to the nations. So what are we to be praying for? We're to be praying for our government and our leaders to be freely able to allow the church to continue to grow and thrive. We want to pray that the gospel can freely get out. We want to pray for peace and for a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And church, we need to be praying for that now. We need to be praying for it now. Because I can tell you there's a lot of stuff happening right now that is, that is limiting travel to where we can't go to different countries and share the gospel. There are restrictions laid out where, where we cannot go and be missionaries. We, what, what's happening in Ukraine, the war that's happening there, we want to pray that our leadership, their leadership, and even Putin, that we need to be praying that God will grab their hearts, show them the error of their ways, point them to the truth of the gospel, lead them in the will that he has so that the gospel and the church may flourish. Church, we need to be praying, yes, for peace in our time, but also ultimately that through this, God is being made known. Church, the church in Ukraine right now, is gathering in subway terminals. They're gathering underground. They are, they are not meeting out in public. It's, it's too dangerous. But they're still gathering. They're still meeting. They're still worshiping. They're still praying. But yet we find it hard to come together sometimes. Because I overslept. I'm too tired. I had a long night. Church, we need to be a people who pray for the salvation of all people. A church who is on our hands and knees because we're committed to the mission 
that God has placed us in. The spread of the gospel. In this prayer for all people, as we pray for leadership, as we pray for the mayor of Red Cross, who is a member of our church, as we pray for, and we know it's truly his wife, by the way. We know it's Frida. But as we pray for our state legislature, our national legislature, as we pray for all of that, we're, we are praying that God, you would help us and our country to continue freely sharing the gospel. But here's the, here's the good news about it, guys. Here's the good news about this. If persecution comes, and I do see it coming, I don't know when, might not be in my lifetime, might not be in our lifetime, but in America, it might come. We see it in other countries. If, if it does come, and these leaders who even here at this time, it's Nero. And if you know the history of Nero, Nero did not do very good with the Christian church here. If that persecution comes, the church will still thrive. It still can't be stopped. The gospel will still be made known. God will still be saving and calling people to himself. World leaders, governmental leaders, whatever we may see, wars throughout our world that are happening right now. It's no threat to the church. Because God is sovereign over it. Which should give us that ultimate and final desire to be in prayer. That God will continue growing his church. For the salvation of our loved ones and all people. So church, may we be a people. Like the people in the, in the downstairs room of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Spurgeon's church. The, the furnace through their prayers heating up the church. May we be a people of prayer as we seek God to be saving people. May we be a people who are compelled by the heart of God, captivated by the work of Christ, and committed to the mission of the church that draws us to be a people of prayer for the salvation of all people. May we be that. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good and gracious. You have sent your son to die for our sins. You have called a people to yourself, purchased a people to yourself. God, I pray that as we trust in your son's saving work, as we trust in your drawing, as we trust in the spirits transforming, God, I pray that you would help us to be a people that pray for the salvation of all people. Help us to be a church that will first of all pray. A church that sees the priority in prayer, the purpose in prayer, and the power in prayer. God, give us the heart that you have for the lost. Give us the desire that all people will be saved. God, help us to be captivated by the work of Christ. To be in awe of what he's done. To, to, to be in awe that he has made a way where there was no way. 
to be in all that he is our mediator between us and you, to be in all that he is our ransom who paid our price, our penalty that we deserved to pay. He paid it on our behalf. Help us to be captivated by that as we pray for the salvation of others and help us to remain committed to the mission that you've given us, God. The great commission, the mission to to spread the gospel, to make disciples and help us to be committed to it by first being a people of prayer. Help us as we ask that in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.